We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, Brad, we survived the bye week, and we are back with another episode of the Yin's No Ball podcast. I'm John Ledger. Of course, with me is Brad Spielberger, and we're back for, I don't know, is this our fourth week? Fourth week you're doing this podcast? Third week? I don't even yeah, know. We're, yeah, we're hitting the ground running here. We're starting a you know, couple of week, couple back-to-backers. We're, we're getting in the swing of things here. This is crazy. We're coming off a of bye week. We we rested a little bit. We did two pods last week. Those were a lot of fun, I think. We have obviously a lot to get into with this team coming off the bye. I wouldn't say that there's news just yet, uh, and we're this is a Q&A podcast, so we're going to get to questions for sure. I wouldn't say there's news just yet. But it does seem like there is some traction to the idea that that a lot of Steelers could be back from injury this week. Dan Moore, Pat Fryermuth, Deontay Johnson. Well, the 21-day window starts for him, Anthony McFarlane as well. So we'll see if those guys could return from injury uh, as well this week. Um, but it seems like what well, was weird, Tomlin said today when he talked that Dan Moore and those guys were set to return. Then they asked him, is Dan Moore going to start over Broderick Jones this week if he's healthy? And he was like, that's a big F if he's healthy enough to play. And I was like, well, you just said it sounded like he was going to return this week. So I'm not really sure like where that falls. How do you feel about that? Like Dan Moore potentially stepping back in the starting lineup after Broderick Jones, just having the game that he had in week five. Yeah. I thought I saw a quote where he said, oh, we'll make that decision when we get to it or something like that. I, yeah. I feel like you are kind of buying time and, and slow playing the potential, you know, supplanting of, of Dan Moore with Broderick Jones. Uh, so, I mean, look, I, I just don't really get it why you wouldn't just stick with it and, pl- and play it out. Like we keep talking about it. if they were replacing not even above average, but just average NFL mm-hmm. starters. I think we'd be kind of annoying if we were complaining every week and saying it has to happen because there are nuances and details and things you learn as a rookie, but they're, they're, they're replacing replacement level players. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the definition for a reason. So yeah, I wouldn't really get it. If you go back to Dan Moore after the buy, I, I just don't see why you wouldn't let the young guy learn on the fly, learn the NFL game and, and, and yeah, make mistakes, but, but learn from them. I don't think, I don't think that, by any stretch of the imagination, Broderick Jones was perfect in the last game, but he was really good. And I'm not sure that Dan Moore's had a game that good in his NFL career. Like that I've watched. I certainly not this season. I'm trying to think like, and I, I get the guy is like, he has kind of been passable at times. And, you know, I'm just kind of leaving through his PFF grades to see what y'all have thought over the years. I do remember the saints game last year. That's his highest greatest game ever for, from you guys. I think that, he, that was a decent game for him. I don't know that I would say like certainly like to be to be that good in, in his first 
start in his first real action um, is really impressive for Broderick Jones. And it goes back to what you said. Like that, this to me is a situation where I want to find out what this player's capable of or more snaps. He's given me reason to believe he's on an upward trajectory already, just in the game and a half that he's played, basically. He is the future at that position. And the other part of it is that you mentioned is that there is no compelling reason to play Dan Moore. You have not given him a big contract. And even if we disagreed with those reasons, he's not a veteran like leader on the team is in his third year. Like he's not like a guy that everybody like relies on is like, you know, say, imagine if it was like a Jake Matthews situation where the guy had been good for years. Right. But now he's starting to fade and okay. Like it's a question of whether, when we should turn to the young guy, like, but this guy's an established vet and he is under a contract and he expects to start and you don't want the bad vibes. Even if I disagreed with all that, I'd get all that, but that's not the situation here. So there's really no defense to me for, for starting Dan Moore Unless Broderick Jones comes in is just disaster. And then you can always bring more in if he's not, even if he's not healthy, he's had the reps before, but you got to get Broderick Jones all the reps now to start preparing him. And if things turn into a disaster, I would argue that's probably not much more, dif- much different from when Moore was playing. But I also don't think that there's like that much to lose, like in this situation, like I, I'd rather Jones just learn and get better while he's playing. I think a big thing for me, too, is sometimes in these type of scenarios, you'll see where, let's say one guy is very good in one particular facet. He might be terrible in the other, but they could argue, well, look, like, is he a net negative in pass pro? Sure, but we're going to run behind him a dozen times a game, and he's a mauler in that, or, or you know, vice versa. Look, he's basically not athletic enough to get out, uh, you know, ahead of a, uh, a run play and, and cause problems, but we know he's reliable in pass pro. The quarterback can feel confident he's there. Like, more is just not really good in either area. So, yeah, you know, this one I think we'd probably agree, even more so than Joey Porter, as much as we don't love the outside corners, like there's just uh, – like he added an element and and did things to elevate yeah. the play of this offense when he played, whereas, you know, Porter's been good, but there's still – we didn't see him start a full game yet. We saw Broderick play a full game against mm-hmm. a good opponent um, and, and show up. So, yeah, I mean, we're on the same page there. I'll say this. I – the Tomlin quote I saw, it kind of like I read it as like leaving the door open to eventually name that, you know, in the next couple of days. Yeah, I, that's a good point. We've we've actually seen Broderick Jones do it like with Joey Porter. Yeah, it's, we can expect and hope. And I, absolutely, I 100 percent believe Joey Porter should be starting like there's no question there. But I'm saying just from an argument standpoint, I don't even know what defense you'd have of Broderick, of, of not pl- starting Broderick Jones at this point. Whereas with Joey Porter, you could, again, it goes back to, oh, we, we Came in and brought Levi Wallace in and free agency. We brought Patrick Peterson in free agency. Veterans, proven guys, supposed to be leaders, all this stuff. We bench them. What role do they have? How do they feel? All that stuff to me is stupid, but I understand that that's part of the process. Like that to me, that stuff should matter. But like at least there's the that's why. Like there's an explanation. I don't even understand why I would more. Like what about this guy has like made him like into the starter? Like he's never even had a stretch of his career where he's been awesome. Like he's just been the fill in the blank guy until a guy like Broderick Jones came along. That's all that he was. And so it doesn't make any sense that you wouldn't want to turn that page. Now that you've gotten a, a look at Broderick and, and to see what he could do. This isn't to say Broderick's going to be perfect. If he plays, it's not what I mean at all. I just mean that I don't think that there's a better option than him on this roster. And also you've sucked running the football and he can legitimately as upside to give you advantages in that area where you've just really struggled. So why not tap into that? Like watching him run block, was totally different than what we've seen from Dan Moore this season or other seasons. And it's just like, you kind of want to lean into that. Like if you're trying to establish a different, you said you weren't a physical enough football team after week four, like this guy's going to change that for sure. Like he may mess up while he does it, but he's going to change that. And I just, I don't know why you wouldn't want that 
on your football team uh, in the starting lineup if, if you didn't have a better option, and I don't think they do. So that's uh, that's going to be something we keep an eye on this week for sure is what happens in that situation. I do think Tomlin is leaving the door open more and more for to get Broderick Jones and Joey Porter Jr. in there. As always, Tomlin is probably – the last person to like admit and move on from a, a, a previous decision and change his mind. It just rarely, rarely, rarely happens without a ton of failure first. So that'll be something that we have to keep our eye on um, as we go through it. All right, let's get to some of these questions. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Uh, before we do this, if you like this podcast, please go to wherever you're listening to it and, and subscribe. Uh, make sure you're subscribed. If you're not, uh, make sure you leave a review and a rating if you could, and then take the link of the pod and send it out to friends and family, loved ones and people you know that might be interested in the podcast. Every time you do that, our audience grows and grows in number. And when that happens, we could keep doing more cool stuff, more shows, guests. We can do more YouTube stuff. We can have better equipment, all of that stuff. We can feed our family. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're feeding our families just fine. Please don't take that seriously. Um, but those are all things that we are able to do with our podcast. So appreciate the support from y'all. Uh, and for y'all doing that, uh, we actually have had a lot of great reviews and ratings already, and we appreciate all the new ones that will come our way after this show as well. Okay, from Josiah Jones, who uh, my buddy back from college, Josiah, shout out to my boy. He actually asked a couple questions here, so we'll we'll kind of mix them in. But the most receiving yards in a single NFL game was by Flipper Anderson of the night of the LA Rams in 1989. 336 yards. Is this record in danger on Sunday? <laughs> How are the Steelers going to stop Cooper Cup or Puka Nakua? This is interesting, Brad. Did you know that Cooper Cup has never caught a pass against the Steelers? I don't know if you saw my tweet yesterday, but you know, great tweet. Was it 2019? You played against them and they and they shut him down. They did. He was yet four targets, no catches, and that was in the midst of uh, one of his better seasons as well. 1100 yard, uh, 10 touchdown season. So. They had a great game plan against him that day. I remember it being the best game Terrell Edmonds I think has ever played in his life. Um, Minka Fitzpatrick was wonderful as well in that game. Uh, they pretty much cut him on everything in breaking all game, uh, doubled him into lots of brackets and things like that. Really wanted him to, to leverage him to the outside area of the field. And uh, in the, he did have a drop, I think, at one point in the game. But yeah, so they just, they were very physical with him, like lots of good stuff like that. Um, so, that will be a story uh, in this game is how are they going to stop them? Yes, they, I think it was a Mike Hilton on that team. Anyway, it rarely matters, but in the nickel, they haven't really had an answer this, this year, whether they're going to man up or not is a question. The Steelers have played a decent amount of man coverage, but how they're going to defend him just in general. Um, I am very curious to see this, how they match up against a guy like this. The Steelers have traditionally been like the anti checks over the years. Other than that cup performance that we're talking about, which is why it was so surprising, they have kind of taken away everything except what you do best. And then they got it. So sometimes they win, like Devontae Adams the other night on Monday Night Football, or whatever it was against the Raiders. Like, okay, it worked. Like they took away, tried to take away everything else. Devontae Adams went crazy, but they ultimately won the game still. That's happened a lot over the years. You remember, I'm sure, I'm sure maybe the Keenan Allen game years ago, Steelers fans will remember where, I don't know, he might have had 200 yards against the Steelers. They would not stop guarding with a linebacker. It was unbelievable. They just continued to put a linebacker on every snap, and he went off, and the Steelers lost the game, I believe. Um, so sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But how do you think they're going to defend these guys? I do think you have to get physical and probably play some more man coverage, bump them off their route stems. And, and I think the the real reason why I think you have to do that, not just because I think it is how you play Cooper Cup specifically, but also – the longer you make it to where that guy is actually running his route and getting towards his break, 
the more time your pass rush has to get home. I mean, uh, I don't know how much Matthew Stafford you've watched. I know his touchdown passes aren't super high. I think he's like a board, an MVP candidate right now. He is playing some remarkable, remarkable football um, and, and has a two-and-a-half-second average time to throw, and that's how they were able to move the ball pretty effectively against the San Francisco 49ers. Like, we know the Rams' offensive line it, it has issues. It, it's not a good unit o- overall, but when they get the ball out quickly, when teams are sitting in zone against them and Puka Nakua just sits down on a soft zone, Cooper Cup, same thing, knows how to find those soft spots, um, and they're getting free releases, Matthew Stafford's going to carve you up all day long. So I think that is what you have to do here. Like you said, some brackets and things of like that as well. But I really think you, you have to play up and press. But but definitely, like, get in their face a little bit. Don't be sitting off and soft and just let them, you know, you know, you know run around right after the snap. Like, you need to bump them off their plan um, so Matthew Stafford's not comfortable uh, right at the outset. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, that seems to make a lot of sense to me. The The biggest advantage they probably have is where they need to really win the game is up front uh, against the Rams offensive line, which has had its bright moments this year, certainly better than last year's group, but it's still very much going to, on paper, should be very overmatched against the Steelers team. Like this should be an area where the Steelers win this game if they do win it um, at, at all. This is where, where it should start. And so to me, it kind of does start there and what you do with those players down the field is definitely secondary. But yeah, you're right. I mean, if you can reroute Cup, you know, Nakua, we'll see. I mean, like again, I'm not saying the guy's bad or whatever, he's good, but I'm just saying you don't you aren't gonna like design a defense necessarily for Nakua at this point in his career. 
But for Cup, yeah, I mean, especially the fact that he plays out wide now a lot too. Now they reduce splits and use, you know, trips and bunches and they do all kinds of stuff. They'll stack the receivers and they find ways to get him clean releases. So it's very difficult to be physical with him um, at the line of scrimmage. So you have to find ways to kind of match up down the field without committing penalties. So it's very difficult like to, to be able to do that. And there may be a point in which you have to commit to to cover it in coverage, especially on certain concepts. So you got to have a lot of answers in your pocket and then figure out, uh, especially with Nakua and Cup together being a new thing, how are the Rams going to use both of them together? I know there's some sample size of that, but it's small. And kind of build what you're going to do coverage-wise and make your adjustments off of what those guys do throughout the game and how the Rams use them throughout the game, I would say. Yeah, no, like you said, yeah, true. They are going to scheme up some free releases for them no matter what. So make sure you're sound on, are you switching based on their releases or are you staying with your guy? Like that's going to be huge. Obviously they, they, you know, they'll get some busted coverage based on how they line their guys up. And, and then that leads to the explosive chunk plays that we've seen on a weekly basis for Matthew Stafford. I mean, he's the highest big time thrower right in the NFL for us and a bottom five turnover worthy player, right? He, he's been, like I said, very, very good. There is a good chunk of that that has come on. Not all of it. He's had some tight window throws, some, you know, classic Matthew Stafford. But there also have been Kutu Atwell and Puka Nakua, especially early on, just running wide open. And it's because you'll see two a two-on-two matchup. And based on how the guys release off the line, both defenders go with one wide receiver and the other guy is just streaking wide open. So you got to be assignment sound in this game. Yeah, that'll be crucially important that they are. It's not something they've been good at this season. I think also this is not necessarily the biggest athleticism advantage for the Rams at wide receiver, which other teams have had. Um, but the Texans being one of those teams, just a lot of speed at wide receiver, even if you don't, you don't know those guys' names. Definitely a lot of speed at receiver with with Collins and with uh, Dell as well. So that won't be exposed maybe the same way, uh, but technique and, and like you said, leverage from coaching concept um, – you're going to have to work your tail off as a secondary for sure in this game. It'd be nice to see Minka be able to make plays on the ball, like to be able to, it just feels like he's never targeted or involved um, because the offenses just seem like they're avoiding him so much. Um, good question from Joey Bag of Donuts. He says, how did the offensive line get worse when it was essentially the same as last year? I think it kind of speaks to what we talked a ton about where, <laughs> you know, the scheme can dictate so much of what the offensive line is asked to do. You know, I mean, I guess Mason Cole, probably the one guy where I think he was looked viable last year and this year just does not look like the same player. Um, but I don't know. I thought James Daniels was fine when healthy. I think Isaac Somalo is the best offensive player on the team right now, uh, offensive lineman on the team right now. Um, I don't know. Chooks to me has kind of been Chooks. You'd know him better. I haven't focused this yeah. closely on the still. But yeah, so I don't know. I, don't know if it's got, I think the results are bad because the scheme is bad. Yeah, I agree. And I don't really think they got worse um to be honest with you i mean you could make an argument mason cole's playing worse this year some of that's matchups honestly i just didn't think he was very good last year i know like technically like there was the thought out there that he was like a fine center but i said in the offseason that i thought left tackle and center were their biggest offensive needs and that they needed to they should make going out and finding a better center a priority i thought it was decently easy to find like a solid center and i felt like he was below average a lot of Steelers fans disagreed with me at the time, and and you know I remember them being like, "How? Why would you prioritize center?" And there was a lot of discussion for a couple of days in my TL about that. Um, I do think that he's been worse this year, but I, I also think this is kind of just in the cards for him. Like there was no higher end outcome, and there were plenty of ways where I could see like him getting worse, and that's one of the reasons why I was pretty concerned about um, that. So yeah, I think he's been worse. I think CMO has been an upgrade over Dotson. We'll talk about Dotson in a second. 
uh, although Dotson was solid last year and I didn't have a big problem with him. Um, I also think that Daniels, you know, he's been hurt now, but I think he's been the same player. Chooks has been the same player to me. Um, Moore's been the same player really. Um, so yeah, I haven't had any issues more. I'd say there's probably more tape on him now. So and pads of pass rushers figure out more ways to attack him. I don't really think it's an, over, it's an overly worse unit, to be honest. I think the scheme is worse and Kenny Pickett's played worse. Um, teams are more, more used to how the Steelers are going to attack. Uh, there are more sample size out there, especially with Pickett and Canada together, that they have to be able to draw off of. And so everything looks worse maybe because of that. But I think it's just overall, like if the scheme were better, this would be a, this would be a solid, decent offensive line. Um, and I just think it's it's not on that level right now. It's one optic optical illusion uh, per se with Kenny bailing from clean pockets is when you're watching the broadcast, you might think he's bailing from bad pockets. So mm-hmm. you're like, oh, the offensive line lost. No, he's actually bailing. Like the offensive line's yeah. doing their job, and he's bailing. So it kind of looks like maybe it's their fault. But on not on every not on every time he bails, yeah. but you know a good chunk of the time, they're actually holding up pretty well. Mm-hmm. And I did a video on uh, the Yin's No Ball podcast YouTube channel as well for people who want to go check that out. I, I showed a bunch of the run plays. It was against the Raiders that didn't succeed, and I was showing how the offensive line, generally speaking, Cole was at, uh, a couple times but was not at fault for those plays, yet they gained negative yardage or went nowhere. And the reasons for that are uh, manyfold. And I think a lot of fans would benefit from the fact that not all pass protection errors and not all run blocking plays that are negative run negative run plays are the fault of the offensive line. It's just kind of automatically assume when those things can happen, our line sucks. That's the common refrain. And I get that fans are not going to necessarily all learn this stuff. But if you're a listener to the In Snowball podcast, maybe you can be a little more critical when you analyze and say, hmm, let's see exactly where the issues are coming from. Because a lot of times there's so many pieces to this. There's scheme. There's the front that they're up against. There's the concept against the scheme that's being called. There's tight ends in the run game. There's running backs, decision making and footwork. There are just so many different issues and nuance to every single run play. It's a big reason why I preferred passing the ball, because I just feel like you need less complicated things to go right in order to have a successful play. Um, and that's why I think running the ball is, is pretty hard, especially in today's NFL with how good defensive lines are. Um, Black and Gold Talk says, do the Steelers do a poor job of coaching to players' strengths? Kevin Dotson, Kendrick Green, Akella Witherspoon look great on their new teams, almost like they are different players. Interesting question. I th- I, I'm, I am interested to see what you think from your position of like spending a lot of years evaluating like the league in general and just how common some of this stuff is. There was a time where if you left the Steelers, you were basically done. Like there was just hardly ever did a guy leave the Steelers and then go on to be better somewhere else. I remember when Emmanuel Sanders did it, it was like shocking. And that only happened because the Steelers had like five good receivers and they couldn't pay them all. Um, The other thing I would say is that be careful of the sample size. Kendrick Green played like one and a half games or something like that in Houston. I thought he was fine, but he wasn't amazing either. I didn't think um, in the in the, at least the, in that Steelers game that I watched. Um, Akella Witherspoon has done this throughout his career, so I wouldn't say this is anything new, right? Is he the biggest fluctuation player? Like he'll have stretches. He's definitely throughout. up there. He's like this guy's <laughs> all pro, and then he will. He's unplayable. Like he he epitomizes the fickleness of the cornerback position, right? Like you guys always talk about that PFF grade wise, like. 
it just isn't very stable position. Like there's not many players that are every single year elite grading, elite like numbers, like because there's so much nuance to the position, right? Like different types of routes against different types of XEs, different types of wide receivers, matchups, concept schemes, like how you defend against stack and how you defend against single receiver side. Like there's all these nuances and how you're attacked in a given week or a stretch of weeks could indicate a lot. Anyway, Witherspoon has just been all that aside. I just think his literal level of play, he will get on these hot streaks. He did for the Steelers. That's why they re-signed him after that one year. He got he was looking, he was out of the league. Then the Steelers picked him up. He got on this hot streak, had a bunch of picks and made a bunch of plays, and they re-signed him, and then he was unplayable the next year. Like there was no doubt about it. He was terrible. He shouldn't have played. Now he's caught on and he's on a hot streak. It's gonna come back to earth. Like I he's old enough at this point. I just think that's coming back to earth. So yes, Dotson's played well with the Rams. I thought he was solid in Pittsburgh. He good stretches in Pittsburgh. He's a solid guard. Like they traded him for what they thought was worth that. I think they thought maybe Herbig, we'll see if he's good. He's played two games. One was good, one was bad. Well, you know, I understand the decision. I, I wouldn't say any of these things are like a result of what the question asks, do a poor job of coaching to a player's strengths per se, but I will get into that. But I'm just curious what you think about those guys and believing the Steelers and maybe playing a little bit better. Yeah, so you cover Witherspoon. Yeah, cornerback is our highest variance position, uh, you know, both week to week and just year to year. Like we see the biggest fluctuation uh, at, compared to every other position in the NFL. So yeah, that that, that kind of covers that. And then look for the offensive linemen. Yeah, I mean they went from polar different schemes, right? We're talking about an inside zone and gap scheme here, and you go in and it's wide zone. Um, you know, with both Houston now and with the, with the San Francisco offense, and obviously Sean McVay as well. So. Yeah, I think those guys probably maybe are better fits, a little bit lighter, a little bit better in space, and not being asked to kind of win one-on-one matchups or um, green for sure, green for sure. Like that's what I I completely yeah. agree with that one. And I'll be honest, I have not watched as much Dotson. Uh, I watch Houston pretty often because you know I just want to watch CJ Stroud and 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 future Bears head coach Bobby Slowick. Uh, so yeah, I thought he like looked just looked much better in that Houston system, uh, and then his injury was unfortunate because he was playing some good ball. But yeah. You you dive into your, your second part, but on the whole, like you said, I like there are a couple teams you kind of circle as like when a guy leaves this team, he's probably cooked. And like Pittsburgh is is certainly on that list. They are often at the other end of the spectrum where they they squeeze the last drop out of guys, they go elsewhere, and we're like, now we see why Pittsburgh moved on from this player. And in answer to the first part of the question, do the Steelers do a poor job of coaching to player strengths? I don't know that I would necessarily say that. I would say that there is typically, there's often a misevaluation of what a player does well in Pittsburgh. I wouldn't say necessarily that they go on and like thrive because the Steelers never recognize their strengths. I think more often than not, the Steelers say, this is a strength of yours and it just isn't a strength of yours. Like, and it's like hard for them to divorce themselves. But like they just misevaluate the player and then it just doesn't work because of that. Most of their draft misses have been like because of that. Um, like, you know, I can think of a lot over the years. I'm not going to go down that tangent, but um, I would say like that's Alan Robinson. We've talked about that, right? Good example of that, right? Player comes in, they say, this is your strength. You're going to be our blocking guy. Um, you're going to be able to create separation, the short areas of the field, things like that. And he's been very poor as a blocker and just whatever as a receiver, like there's been nothing special about him. Like he's, he's the most replaceable skill set, a wide receiver. You can, you can find like a poor man's Jarvis Landry type, like a receiver basically at this point. Um, and so I would say that some of those things show up at times, like not understanding necessarily. There's also been just like the idea, like they hang on to players who like then go on to do nothing in other places. And the Steelers like will start them way longer than they should not. I mean, people, the Steelers fans will remember, Antoine Blake, Valentino Blake, um, that happening for years. It was like, this guy is not an NFL star. Like, what are you doing? 
Artie Burns, like that happened for a while. I was just like, what are y'all doing? Like this Jarvis Jones was like that. And as soon as these guys leave, like they're barely on the roster spot. They're practice squad players. You've seen Artie Burns, obviously in Chicago a little bit. Like, oh yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, it's like these guys can't play. Like it's just it's obvious they can't play. I think Dan Moore will will be a swing tackle somewhere. He'll play, he'll be on a roster, but like the Steelers will like keep these guys as starters way past the point at which it's shown that like they are not starters. And then they will move on whenever they eventually decide to move on from those players who have no no real future in the league. And so that to me is the part of the evaluation coaching thing that I get hung up on a little bit. Do you believe Tomlin in Canada from, Oh, did you have one more thing on that? No, 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 go ahead. You're good. Okay. Uh, Steeler for life says, do you believe Tomlin in Canada are aware of some of the clear deficiencies in Canada's scheme? Things like leaving defenders unblocked in the run game, spacing in the route combinations, rarely passing from under center, et cetera. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, aware, <laughs> I would say, yes, they're certainly aware of it. Look, every team is self-scouting. You're watching tape on usually I think Tuesdays is when they watch themselves. It probably varies building to building. But um, and yeah, I mean, you're having people in the, in the building that are literally poking holes in what you do, trying to find tendencies and things like that. But, you know, you and I can sit here mid podcast and chuckle about the fact that when they're under center, they've run the ball like 90 percent of the time or whatever it was like. It's pretty bad. And it's not something you see everywhere. So. Do I think they're aware of it? Yes. Um, you know, have they done enough to actually, you know, fix it? Uh, obviously not yet. That, that is also, hey, an early bye week in a schedule is exactly what this type of, you know, correction can be coming out of it. But uh, look, they also, I guess I'll say this. I mean, look, they have a smaller staff in terms of like, you know, quote unquote analytics and on other areas. It's not a big building in, in Pittsburgh compared to others. And you know, we think of analytics as all oh, fourth down decisions and field goals or like, no, it's like stuff like this. What are we doing? That's predictable. What are other teams doing, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's a massive part, probably the biggest part uh, of, you know, quote unquote analytics and data science is, you know, finding tendencies and trends for yourself first and foremost. And then of course your opponents. Yeah. That's a, it's an important point there. Um, another question from Steeler for life. My biggest concerns with Kenny are pre-snap reads pocket presence and he doesn't appear to throw with great anticipation do you foresee these issues improving if you agree with them or will the Steelers be drafting another quarterback in two years two years why are you waiting two years this year what are we talking about two years it's a great quarterback class you don't think they could possibly pass up this quarterback class to hang on to Kenny Pickett for another year do you Brad it's an awesome class man I mean you're if you're picking in the Kenny Pickett range let's say at 15 you're getting a significantly better prospect than you got in Kenny Pickett. <laughs> yeah, I I would agree with that completely. I agree with the, a lot of the big concerns. I think those are all good ones. Uh, doesn't appear to throw with great anticipation. I would say that because he's just moved slow, too slowly through progressions, he is too slow to come off of something or to see pre-snap. This is probably going to be open post-snap and kind of already have an idea like what he's going to – or he sees something directly post-snap and he's like, okay, now I know where to go. To him, it's much more of a like segmented boom, boom, boom. And a lot of times that's why pressure is there why he panics too. He panics also when he, as he moves through those. Um, so I would say that that is one of the, some of the big concerns I have with him. So I agree with that. Um, I would, no, this is basically drawing from the fact that I was never high on Kenny Pickett to begin with, like as a prospect. So it would take a lot of quality play over a sustained period of time to convince me to come off those priors. I think that's part of being a good draft evaluator is that like, you're not going to take an L on evaluation until over you've seen it proven wrong over a large sample size. And with Kenny, I just haven't seen that happen. I was very interested coming in this year after some exciting things I thought last year, 
But especially how he's played this year, like I'll just probably just refer back to that pre-draft evaluation. Like, yeah, I never really saw him as a great prospect where like those kind of things could improve. Cause if I did, then I would have seen him as like a, a round one type of prospect and I didn't. So I would say that I don't really see them improving. And I would guess that the Steelers will be drafting another quarterback. Oh, maybe this year. I don't know. We'll see. I, it would have to be pretty bad for the Steelers to admit an L or take an L that early, but it's been pretty bad so far. So it's not out of the question that it could happen. I mean, let me frame it to you this way. Let me go through the list of the top quarterback prospects in this class, and you tell me when to stop where you think Kenny Pickett was a better prospect than the name I'm saying. <laughs> All right. This is tricky, but go ahead. I I have not like thoroughly evaluated these guys yet, but I have Fair watched enough. a bit of college ball this year, so so hit me. Yeah, and obviously they're different skill sets and all that and whatever. But anyway, all right. Caleb Williams, Drake May, J.J. McCarthy, uh, Michael Penix, Bo Nix. That's the one I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested there. Like I do think he has become kind of a system guy, and I, maybe I watch tape of him and study a lot. But from what I've seen live, I do think he's become like, oh, he's he was at one point to me like totally undraftable and, and a joke as a yeah. prospect, and then he went to Oregon, and I was like. Okay, like they've built a system around him that like he can survive in, but I still am not sure that I see like the guy that's going to be like great NFL player. So I I don't know. Without having gotten an evaluation, I may end up evaluating Bonix higher, and I'd say probably his interesting tools. Um, I would say yeah. There's at least four guys. I I like McCarthy from what I've seen. Yeah, I like Penix. Uh, I'm not totally sure about him, but I I definitely like what I've seen. I love to like the tools a lot. Um. And obviously the top two guys, are, you'd be crazy if you didn't take them. Over there. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, there are probably other guys too. Who else? I didn't mention Quinn Ewers. I don't know where you fall on him. I'm yeah. kind of so-so on him. I've watched a good bit of him as well. Obviously, as a Bears like fan, dude, all you do yeah. is study, study prospects. That's what the that's what you do. Yeah. Like, it just it's not even just the, the lack of de- downfield accuracy, which has been, like, bizarrely just not there. I don't know. I the tools are not as impressive as I, as, as I thought when you watched all of his, his high school prospect mm-hmm. stuff and all that. Like, he's good. He's yeah. probably, he could play his way into, like, late first, like, early second range, but maybe even higher. I don't know. But, I don't know. I want to like him more than I do. What about the Notre Dame quarterback? Uh, Sam Hartman? <laughs> Is he not a real prospect? Hey, he's my know. age. I'm 29. I think Kim and I have to share a birthday. I know. <laughs> hey, that, that's, a, that's a beautiful man. That's all I know. That hair. Yeah. It's fair. Fair. Legit. The Jimmy G principle. Uh, yeah, he's, he's a winner because he's yeah. handsome. Yeah. <laughs> Can't be that bad because of the handsomeness factor. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll see, I guess, but the, where they're, when they're drafting a quarterback. But I definitely think it's going to end up being eventually on the table, I would say. Um, C. Smitty says, what three changes slash moves would you make to the current roster? Can't fire Matt Canada. I would assume this means in season. What changes yeah. would you make to the current roster? So this might answer a second question that we had, uh, but I wanted to bring it up. Uh, so I actually am doing a trade deadline article and I'm, I am, you know, these are all mock hypotheticals. I haven't heard anything on this particular one. I, I do hear some things on some of the others, but uh, Christian Fulton, I'm going to, I'm going to trade for Christian Fulton from the Tennessee Titans. Uh, I think it's a very limited um, market for corners. I know someone like brought up Jalen Johnson in the comments as well. I just don't know if Chicago does that as much as they probably should. Um, in Tennessee, Fulton just like needs a, needs a reset. They, they drafted Roger McCreary last year. Your old pal Sean Murphy Bunting, I think, is playing really good football again uh, in, in Tennessee. Dude, I think he looks good in Tennessee. He looked good this past week, at least. Um, what an upset that would be. I, I will admit I have not watched. I know he had a pick or two, but. 
That is no, I know. Crazy. He was. Yeah, I know. I know. Tampa. Um, but yeah. Anyway, Christian Fulton always thought that was a good athlete, good player at LSU. Had some early injuries in his career, um, a lot of soft tissue stuff. But it just right now is just like he's clearly in his head, and just like I think Vrabel's all kind of made some comments about him too. Like I think he just needs a reset. And if mm-hmm. I'm Pittsburgh, yeah, bring him in for super cheap. See what you can get out of a young, you know, rookie contract expiring player. I don't know. So that that's one for me. His contract's expiring. He's a free agent this offseason. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you super cheap, so, like, so you'd be giving up, yeah, like late day, like a six round pick, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be down with that. Uh, let's just tie this into the next question, then from same from C Smitty as well, which was about uh, Jalen Johnson and potentially trading for Jalen Johnson, the Bears cornerback. You've watched Jalen Johnson more than me, obviously as a Bears fan. What's the story there? Like, does this is he not getting resigned? Like, is he like, what are they doing with this guy? I don't think so. Uh, his is two, twofold. I mean, A, he also has dealt with injuries pretty much his entire career, even back to in college at Utah. Look, he's awesome when he plays. I actually think he'd be a phenomenal fit in this defense as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Probably a better fit than, than currently playing a bunch of like Tampa 2 and, and, and you know, soft and off um, in, in Chicago. But I think Chicago, I don't know if an extension happens. I think it's going to be tough. I don't know if he's worth a franchise tag. And they just drafted, you know, corners in the second round and back-to-back draft classes. Granted, Kyler Gordon's a slot and probably will stay there uh, anyway. Whoa. Jalen, I think, is the prize at corner of the trade deadline. Like, But I think that you're, you're trading like a fourth-round pick at that point for, again, an expiring contract. And you probably try to extend the guy, like, after the deal. Um, maybe it happens. And, and like I said, he, he's I think he's a stud. I think he's a great, great outside corner. Plays with good leverage. Um, it is not grabby, but it's physical um, at the catch point. Always, I think, times his, his jumps well. Like, he's a very good player. He just has to, you know, he also, the soft tissue stuff with him is, is and then his shoulders, he's had like three shoulder surgeries. So there's risk there, but he, he's a stud when he plays. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I actually do kind of think he would be a good fit. I, he hasn't missed that much time, although I know the injury thing is, is real. Like, he, he has played a good bit i feel like over the past couple of years but it is one of those things where do you, you want to take that kind of a risk i mean 656 snaps last year but before that i feel like was that did he play full seasons in 2020 2021 the first season he missed the last like month with the shoulder surgery on the same shoulder as the college shoulder surgery and then this year mm-hmm. he's already missed two weeks now with a hamstring like yeah i'm not trying to dog the guy it's not that yeah. bad but he's also one of those classic like He'll be on the practice report all week and then play still. And like, you know, teams are oh, kind of wary of the of yeah. those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That would be an interesting one at the deadline. If he is available, I would be considering that one. I've never been a huge Christian Fulton fan, but he has definitely played better at points in his career in the NFL than he has this year, obviously. And I yeah. could definitely see the variable effect. Like coach like that just gets down on a guy. He goes somewhere else and he could be all right. I think. I'd prefer Johnson, but the price tag for Johnson is probably going to be higher. Although he's on expiring too, right? So on expiring as well. But I think the price tag would be like a, a, a couple rounds higher than Christian Fulton at this point. Like a third, third the best case for Chicago. If you get a bunch of bidders, I don't know. Philly joins in the in the mix, yeah. and Buffalo gets in the mix. Um, probably a fourth because that'll. I think he'll sign a free agent contract that equates to a fourth round comp pick, and that's kind of how mm-hmm. it's the easiest way uh, to to dictate what a deadline deal will look like. Okay, interesting. Any other corners you feel like? No one that I think is like an impact starter uh, in, in the NFL. Really, okay. I really can't find any good names. Yeah. Uh, other changes I would make. Uh, I think we've talked about, I would put Porter Jr. in there. I'd put Broderick Jones in there. 
I would, um, that's two, I guess. I like the move for Jalen Johnson at the deadline. I think I would be mildly optimistic about that if it were a day three pick. Um, yeah, just also because this team in drafting corners is just such an unbelievable mess. Maybe it'll be better under Omar Khan. I don't know, but we'll see with Joey Porter Jr. That would be a good sign that things are going to be better under this regime. It was like Kevin Colbert's big, big weakness. They couldn't draft corners. Um, so yeah, we'll see about that one. Uh, I think the other thing I would do, I t- we talked about moving James Daniels to center, Herbig at right guard, getting Mason Kwan in the lineup. I think that's really important. They don't play any really good defensive tackles except for Aaron Donald. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so yeah, that will be tough if Mason Cole is in there. I would say good luck with that one. Um, so I would I would love to make that move this week too. Um, other moves, I, I, I really like pretty much defensively the rotations. I feel like Benton getting more snaps would be something uh, that we would do. I would get Allen Robinson up out the paint. I would yep. get Calvin Austin in there more, and I would just play Miles Boykin. And if you if it's not good, it's not good, but at least he'll block. Like yep. I can't imagine it being like that, like a huge drop off from what Allen Robinson's given you through the first couple weeks. Like, so those are all things I would do. I think we're kind of in agreement on most of those things. I feel like that was my last one. Was the receivers? Yep, we're on the same page there. Yeah, especially when Deontay Johnson comes back, that'd be good move. To I make. think he's um, playing this week, right? I think he's supposed to. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was saying the 21 day window is open for him. He'll start this week to practice again. And then if he's good to go, he could play this week. So, and he said he planned to play this week. So, okay, cool. We'll see. Um, what is the Steelers' best O line combination? I think there's a legitimate discussion to be had around shifting the interior O line to get Cole out of the starting lineup. We just kind of talked about that. More left tackle, swing tackle, or competition at right tackle. I think Chooks is just better than more and no reason to switch sides for more. Like, just. I hope train him in a, at right tackle too, and he can be your swing tackle eventually. You know, he's going to be a free agent after this year, I think. So, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, can players, can the players in this offense be properly evaluated in this system from Hey J bird? That's interesting. Can the players in this offense be properly evaluated in this system? To me, that's a complex question that requires like a lot of layers. Certain things can certainly be evaluated. We did talk about the fact that the Kenny Pickett progression stuff that I was just criticizing him for that at times is legitimate. And I think was true in college too. So that's why I don't totally like disregard it for him now in the NFL. It's not like it was Justin Fields where I felt like in college, he's a totally different player in the NFL. Like I still see a lot of the same guy with Kenny Pickett, but I will say this scheme and the fact that everything is so stagnant and static offensively, like a lot of times your second and third progressions are, are also trash. So it's hard to like really say, Oh, if he just kept moving and if he recognized things sooner, he'd be able to find this open guy. That open guy is not there a lot of the time on tape. So yes, I would say that part of it, makes it difficult to evaluate them. It definitely adds a layer to the evaluation. There are still things you can evaluate. We can still determine that Deontay Johnson is a negative after the catch, not because of his ability. He's actually really talented, but because of his decision-making. We can do that without, like, the scheme doesn't, we don't need the scheme to be able to make, to be able to draw that conclusion. 
I was going to say, again, a question that I, I deal with every year in Chicago. Like, I, I think you still can see, for example, you see the receivers that are not getting targeted because they're later on the progression. Are they creating separation? Uh, so, like, that that's still something that they can control themselves. Are they blocking when someone else does get the football? Like, I think you can isolate the variables pretty decently. And, and yeah, no, they're, they're, like you said, it does add complexities, adds layers to it. But guys can still win a rep without actually factoring into the, you know, the box score of, of, of a snap. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what were the schematic and performance from this is from GH number number? What were the schematic and performance differences in the last five to seven weeks of last year when they were a top half, top ten, even if I recall correctly, offense by DVOA versus this year? I think Pickett played better. Uh, I wasn't really covering the Steelers in that kind of detail to like have studied a ton of them at that point in time. I watched obviously all the games. I didn't watch all the tape every week or anything like that. Um, there were definitely some things that were better. I do think Kenny was playing better football, and uh, I don't know what the fact, what the reason for that necessarily is. Um, I also felt like they were taking more shots like down the field. And I don't know if it's that they got frustrated, but it felt like they were throwing the ball vertically a lot more and they were making more plays in that area of the field too, both receivers, um, but especially Pickens. And so that to me was the biggest difference over that time. They did run the ball better. Um, I honestly don't know what I can attribute that to other than the factors were in place because it's not like they've gotten better or worse as a run blocking group, in my opinion. Um, and that's, a, that's the, the reason for it. So uh, perhaps it was box counts and things like that. I'm not totally sure, but I, I, I can say that is the biggest reason the passing game has changed. I think I, yeah, it was the explosives for me. I mean, Kenny Pickett for us in the last, you know, week 12 on was up there again. I mentioned big time throw rate that that is a, there's a gigantic checklist and guideline of how to do it, but it is a quote unquote subjective thing, but you know, tight window downfield evading pressure, anything you, you know, when you, when they say big time throw on a broadcast, like you, you kind of know what it is anyway. So he was way up there in that regard. And I think they were just taking shots. And then you mentioned it. Why was the run game doing better? Probably because they were completing a lot of those downfield passes, maybe getting some lighter box counts because they actually felt, you know, defenses felt they needed to respect the downfield passing game. But yeah, I don't know if it was schematic. I think things things were just kind of working over that stretch. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like Kenny, when he does throw anticipatorily or I guess more so just knows where he's going with the first read and, and likes the look uh, immediately, I think he's an accurate passer. Or he was more last year than I think we've seen this year, at least. Yeah, especially the first couple of weeks of the season. Yeah, absolutely. He was very off, I felt like, the first couple of weeks of the season. Um Okay, this is a good question. There's, You can replace any two coaches on this team. Which two and who do you look to replace those names with that would best fit the skill set of the team? That The replace, who would replace with, that's tricky because we don't know who's available right now at this point. So let's just stick with, if you could replace any two coaches on this team, which two do you think it would be? Is there not the free bingo square that, that we... There's not a free bingo square. Well, obviously, I, if you listen to the Into the Ball podcast for 10 seconds yeah, at any right. point in the last month, you know the the first answer. Uh, I mean, I do think, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, I felt like bringing in Brian Flores, who I think has a different background and has done different things, um, you know, like bringing a ton of pressure, which I guess the Steelers do, but I don't know. Like, I thought he made a big difference for the linebacker core last year. Uh, that was obviously his position group, but also I think they – I think we saw them do different things up front and, and try different approaches to to rushing. So, like, what was it? Well, I don't even know the D, D coordinator's name. Terrell Austin is that Terrell his name? Austin, yeah, yeah. 
I don't know why I even know I, that. I don't uh, know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, it's just one of the hardest things because the Steelers don't let anything like leak out ever, or like there's no information about like nobody in the outside knows how the organization works. Whereas when I was in Tampa Bay, like, oh, there's all this transparency. We know exactly how it works. We know the dynamics. We know, like, the relationships. Like, we know, like, how healthy the culture is, all this stuff. Pittsburgh, you just really don't know. It's just, like, everybody just goes and does their job. Like, nobody, like, lets it bleed into, like, emotions or personal stuff feels like. And everybody goes home. It's kind of very much like everybody's, like, I don't know to what degree to blame Terrell Austin or might blame Mike Tomlin. Same thing we didn't. What degree to blame Kevin Butler or or uh, what degree to, to blame um, – to our Keith Butler or to blame uh, Mike Tom and I like same kind of thing. I think like I it's, it's difficult to know that, which like I'm getting to the point and coaching talking, like, I think we just need to really be evaluating Mike Tomlin because although he's hundred percent been a great coach up until the last couple of years, like I do think that the game has evolved and changed and he's shown a complete abject refusal to evolve and change with it. That just never really trends in the right direction. Like it just, it's so hard to reverse that. Like he's not going to change who he is. And while he will keep you competent for a long time, if that's the goal, like to me, you just have to like take that risk and aim higher. And I completely understand that the Steelers could hire a worse coach and it could be a disaster and that could happen. And that would suck. Like, there's no doubt like this Philly did this right where they felt like, I'm not saying they were right, but they felt like it was time to move on from Andy Reid, Chip Kelly disaster, right? Like it obviously didn't go well at all. And it took them a long time. Look now, like they found somebody. So Perhaps the Steelers would have to go through that process. But to me, it's better than knowing you're not going to be a contender year after year after year. Like that to me is like the worst. So now I think it was worth seeing like how the quarterback situation plays out. The other thing is to me, the most two most important things for an organization are who your play caller is, who your offense coordinator play caller is, and who your quarterback is. Like to me, those are the most two important, most important roles. If that guy's also, also your head coach, that's great. And it's preferable because then you're not going to lose them probably. Even if you hire one, and if Tomlin does hit this, which by the way, he's shown no propensity to do, he's hired Todd Haley, Randy Feedner, and Matt Canada. And frankly, none of those three were very good. The fact that Haley is light years beyond the other two is <laughs> says a lot about how low this bar is. And Haley did do some good things. I don't want to criticize too much. He was a unfathomably poor play sequencer i feel like but also he had so much more talent that it that plays into the evaluation i'm sure as well um that to me like if tomlin can't like would you want to roll the dice again figuring out whether tomlin can get the most important hire on the team right and then even if he does get it right will they be able to keep that guy in that role and would he not move on for another head coaching job i mean tomlin has nobody from his coaching tree hired for head coaching job nobody that he's hired is anywhere of substance it's difficult to say like that's the guy I want making what I believe is the most important hire from our organization moving forward. And sometimes it's as simple as that. Like I'm not saying you couldn't get it right. I'm just saying the odds of getting it right, we I think have been proven to be low. And even if he does get it right, you probably lose that guy because you know, because this is why I vouch for offensive minded head coaches. So that to me is reason why I think you need to have Tomlin under the microscope this season. Seriously, even if I know the organization is probably not going to do that. Chance. The thing that like frustrates me always is across the league, and I get co- maybe coaches just buy the ability to do that. But like, how do they not sit back and say, "Okay, look, we're not firing you. We love you, but we are going to have more legitimate say in the position coaches and coordinators that you have on your, uh, you know." But I don't know. I guess Tomlin says either I control that or I'm leaving, and he would have a head coach job in five seconds. Like, I guess maybe that's that's how that conversation mm-hmm. goes, but. 
Yeah, like it's just like it's just non-viable. Um, Lisa did not have anyone on his tree. He's won 15 seasons in a row and had, does not have a coaching tree. Like that is bananas. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. um, but also not surprising in any way, shape, or form. Um, I'll throw one more in there. Just, just a thought. I actually don't think he's a bad coach. He used to coach the Bears back in the day. But offensive line coach Pat Meyer. I think he just replaced what was the guy Adrian Clem, who just like bailed for a, a college job after a year. Yeah. Is that the right name? Yeah, that is right. I think. Yeah. I, I I thought Pat Meyer did some good things. I think he helped Kyle Long develop in Chicago. I think in Carolina, I don't know, Taylor Moten, some young players. But I don't know. M- maybe that could be a spot to look into as well. I, I think having a good offensive line coach is such a cheat code in this league. I mean, you see it, you know, in Cleveland um, with Bill Callahan in your own division and, and just his ability to coach guys up and get the most out of talent. Uh, I guess Jedrick Wills is, is not great. But anyway – Maybe there's a spot to look into as well, but but yeah, I mean, if if you don't have a different an offensive coordinator that's you know at least viable, then nothing else really matters. Yeah, I I agree. Like it that that that's the thing that I think is people are still catching up with. But like, look around the league, the successful defensive head coaches, they have good great offensive coordinators, and then those guys leave, and then either the unit gets worse or they're fine. You know, people point to Sean McDermott and the Bills. We'll see. Like. I don't think they're as threatening now as they were with Dable. Like, I think that all that stuff matters. Like, I, I'm not saying, you know, maybe he hit two in a row. Uh, uh, Mike Vrabel hit a couple in a row, right? And now it's it's probably, he's probably not, but he hit a couple in a row, right? Was it LaFleur and then Arthur Smith? Uh, Mike, yep. so I mean, yep. so Matt LaFleur and Arthur Smith, I mean, like, that, okay, that could happen and you could have a nice little stretch and like maybe your quarterback's better than the Titans was and you get in. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible. The path is just so much more narrow. And Belichick even, like, he had great offensive minds his entire time and the greatest quarterback of all time. And the combination of those two things, yeah, made that people have kind of slept on this whole theory because if you look at defensive head coaches have won all these Super Bowls, well, a lot of those are Belichick and there's, you know, asterisks there. Like, it's difficult to do that, to keep McDaniels around as long as he did with the marriage with Brady and he had Brady around as long as he did. Like, if that's your say, oh, look, the Patriots did, okay, good luck. Like, that's the thing I'd say about a lot of people yeah, that say, oh, yeah. the Patriots did. Like, it's like, all right, cool. Like, good luck repeating that. Like, I just don't think it's going to happen. So, that's where I get pretty – I think it's just a narrow path if you hire a great defensive minus trade coach like to victory. Like You kind of have to hit everything perfectly for a year to get a title to be able to pull that kind of thing off, in my opinion. Yeah, like even you get a Ben Johnson and he turns down you know coaching jobs because he could be a head coach in the NFL right now if yeah. he wanted to. Right. Yeah, I, I, I feel like they could get creative with it, though, where you're not – Hiring a guy that's like failed at ten different college stops and is just not a good coordinator. Yeah, yeah. But also, but also a guy that you're not gonna lose immediately. Some like thirty year old young hotshot mind. You know, I don't know who that is potentially, but I don't know. I feel like there is <laughs> there's a, there's a middle ground between these two options. Yeah, and do you trust Tomlin to do it to figure it out? Given the fact that he is not really forward thinking and how he thinks about ball, is he gonna value an offensive coordinator? that is forward thinking about it because all the best ones are like all the best ones are. And so it's very difficult to say like, he's going to buy in and do that. And I just don't, to me, there's just not a tracker that's going to happen. So as much as he is good at a lot of the baseline stuff to me, like those things are critical. Otherwise your organization is just kind of in perpetuity, just kind of spinning in this eight, nine, nine and eight type of cycle, which to me is 
the absolute worst. <laughs> it's yeah, no doubt about it's, that. Yeah, no. All right, that was good. Uh, we got through a bunch of questions. A couple I didn't read, but I think we kind of answered them with our other answers. So that was good. We'll be back later this week. I am traveling a little bit for work for full time, so we'll work out of time. But we'll be back later this week, Thursday or Friday, probably to post another podcast for you, previewing this upcoming game against the Rams in more depth and detail. So until then, appreciate y'all. Thanks for the subscriptions, for uh, leaving the reviews and the ratings on the pod. Y'all are the best. We'll catch you again later this week.